I am going to finish, I'm not finish, continue on uh, what we've been, the series that we've been talking about. But I, I do want to mention that Wednesday night I did not have a handout prepared that I wanted to for what I taught on Wednesday night. So uh, that handout is back there. I will mention it again here in just a moment. So as I begin today, uh, th by the way, this is the book that I'm teaching from, my book on the, the secret to healthy relationships. This is my journey from uh, dysfunction and intimidation. I don't know, there's lots of words that would describe how I was. I was fragmented. I didn't know how to have a kind of a relationship that was healthy, that I could sustain, that I could enjoy. And this is my journey, and that's what I'm teaching you through this series because I am so privileged to be able to say that today I'm a whole person, and it feels really good to be whole. And so this is my journey. I do have those back there if you uh, are interested in just reading, and I don't have time to go through everything that's in this book when I'm teaching, but I just want to hit the highlights of it. I want to start with Matthew, the 22nd chapter, verses 37 through 40. These, I'm going to give you some uh, foundational scriptures. How many of you were not here last week? Let me see your hands. Okay. Okay. You'll get the, you will watch the video, right? Okay. You already did. Okay. Last Sunday, I laid a foundation, which is the key, the key for healthy relationships. So we're going to read our, two of our foundation scriptures. The first one, uh, Matthew 22, 37 through 40. Now, this is a lawyer that came to Jesus, and he was... He was actually trying to, to trap him, but he wanted to find out which was the greatest commandment. He said there's some that's light and some that's heavy. But he said, I want to know what the greatest one is. And so G this is Jesus' reply. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And this is the great, the most important, the principal, and the very first commandment. The second, so he gave him a bonus. He says, this is the first, now here's the second. You shall love your neighbor as you do yourself. Now put up Galatians 5.14. The whole law concerning human relationships is complied with in one precept. I love it that God is so simple. It's not complicated, people. It's one precept. You shall love your neighbor as you do yourself. So last week I talked about what the kind of love that we have to have to have good relationships and what it isn't. So the opposite of the God kind of love is what? Louder, I can't hear you. Selfishness. Okay, we, so we, we read you, we showed you a picture of what selfishness looked like last week. And um, then Wednesday night, we begin to talk about another aspect of this law. Now, we, we know the first one was to love God with all your heart. Second one is to love people. So, so we've got that down. But we leave out the last part of that, and that is loving others as you love yourself. So the place that we have to start in healthy relationships is with ourselves. We have to start with learning how to love ourselves. So Wednesday night, we kind of started talking about this. We talked about the fact that um, the way you see yourself is so important. Because when God created us, he put on the inside of us 
his image. We were created in the image of God, and then we had a purpose. The purpose was to take dominion, actually to just rule and reign on this earth. And so he gave us everything we need, needed, but then Adam and Eve sinned. When Adam and Eve sinned, it destroyed that image on the inside of them. In fact, it left it shattered so much that they ran away from God. They hid from God. They uh, became afraid. Now, you and I know that when you're afraid, you can't take dominion. So it stopped the very destiny of what God had planned for mankind. So it became a pro- sin became a problem. And, when, and the one thing that we, we talked about Wednesday night was that they also recognized that they were naked. Up until that time, they didn't know it because they weren't. They were covered with the glory of God. They were glorious. They didn't know that they were naked until the glory left and departed And when the glory left, they saw that they were naked. And God said, who told you you were naked? Because he knew that they didn't know that they were naked until the glory left. So uh, Jesus came for a purpose. And that was to destroy the works of the devil. And the Bible tells us in Colossians, the first chapter, I think it's the 27th verse. It says, Christ is in us. The hope of glory. He came so that we could move back into the glory that we had in the beginning. And so that we could have that image reproduced on the inside of us. So we talked about sin. I mean, that wasn't a very exciting subject Wednesday night. But uh, it's an important subject for us to know about. Because sin will destroy your self-image. Just like if I would have walked in here this morning with my jacket, you know, I, I, I felt like I would be just fine in this jacket, but I would look down and there would be a blob of ketchup on my jacket. I would try to hide that. I would be self-conscious. And instead of being others conscious, I would be self-conscious. So sin destroys your confidence and it makes you self-conscious. It begins to, it causes you to feel a separation from God. You run from God and not to him. Uh, We talked about the remedy for sin. There's only one remedy and that's called repentance. Put up Mark Mark 6, 12, would you please? I just want to reiterate something that I, I kind of left out Wednesday night, and then we'll go on. So it says, they went out and preached that men should repent, that they should change their minds for the better and heartily amend their ways with abhorrence for their past sin. So the definition of repentance is to change your mind for the better, heartily amend your ways, With what? Abhorrence for your past sins. In other words, you do not have true repentance till you hate your sin. And then put up 2 Corinthians uh, 7, uh, 10, 10, 7, 7, 10, whatever I gave you. 7, 10. 2 Corinthians 7, 10. I'll find it real quick. Okay, so it says, For godly grief and the pain God permitted to direct produce a repentance that leads and contributes to salvation and deliverance from evil, and it never brings regret. But worldly grief, the hopeless sorrow that is characteristic of the pagan world is deadly, Breeding and ending in death. So there's two kinds of hate that you can have when you sin. You can either hate the sin or hate yourself for sinning. I'm going to repeat that. You can either hate the sin, and that's true repentance, 
or you can hate yourself for sinning. And we use the example of Peter. He was full of grief and he hated what he had done. But he was converted, he was changed, and he became a great evangelist and a great teacher. Judas did almost the same thing that Peter did, but he hated himself for sinning and he went out and hung himself. So when sin is in a person's life, it can cause you to hate yourself. And that is not the proper self-image. We want to see ourselves the way God sees us. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. I'm going to talk, we talked about repentance. And I believe all of us know how to repent. If we need to repent, we're going to repent real quick. God totally forgives us. He doesn't wait Till we ask for forgiveness to forgive us. He forgave us 2,000 years ago. We just receive it when we repent. We receive it. And we need to receive it. Because it says he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That means we're clean. So we want to reform that self-image that's on the inside of us. Because many times it's shattered. Now, I want to just make a statement. The statement is this. You have never seen your own face. I've never seen my own face. You say, yeah, but I know what I look like. Well, the only way you know what you look like is because you have looked into a reflective device that reflects what you look like so that's the only way a mirror is the only way that you can actually know what you look like and that's going to be the image that you think about yourself is the image that you see in the mirror now um, this is the way that we develop our inward image as well this mirror that we have looked in over and over in our lives has created our self-image. Where do we get these mirrors? Well, it, sometimes it's from circumstance, what people say about us, how people treat us. These things are held up to us, and that begins to form on the inside the picture of how we see ourselves. Now, uh, I had... Two mirrors in my bedroom. I had a mirror, I say had because I've remodeled. I, I had a mirror on the tub, my tub. It's a sliding door. And uh, that mirror, every time I looked at it, it made me look 10 pounds heavier than the mirror on my dresser. So the, one of the first things we did was to get rid of that mirror in the bathroom. Uh, but two mirrors telling me two different things. One of them, I look 10 pounds heavier. The other one, you know, not perfect, but not bad, at least in those days. So, uh, <laughs> thank you. So, uh, I had to decide which one was telling me the truth. Now, if I was really feeling like I was due for a great pity party, I would uh, look at the mirror on the tub. Now, this mirror on the tub was positioned in such a way that um, nothing was hidden from the view. <laughs> Just saying. I could have a really good pity party looking at that mirror that made me look 10 pounds heavier. Or if I was thinking, oh, I feel really good today, I would look in the mirror and on the dresser and I would say, you know, not bad. I'm having a good day. So it was a choice for me. I don't know which mirror was telling me the truth. You know, my friends won't tell me the truth, which one is right. But mirrors can be distorted. This is what I want you to see. I don't know if you've ever been to a fun house where um, the mirrors make you look more than 10 pounds 
heavier, distorted, nose long, I don't know, you know, there's just all kinds of distortions. You know, you look at those mirrors and, and you think, they're not telling me the truth. That's not truth. That's not really what I look like. And so there's no harm done. Actually, several years ago, whenever these phones started having these filters on them, I don't use filters, but my grandson, I was riding in the car, and he took a picture of me. And he said, Mimi, do you want to see what you look like? I mean, it totally crashed my self-image. My mouth was great big, my nose was distorted, my head was blown up like a balloon. It was distorted. Now, I knew then that that was not a true mirror. That's not what I really looked like. So, so no harm done. Just a, just a temporary setback on my self-image was all that was. But what if those distorted mirrors were the only mirrors that you ever had to look at throughout your life? Your self-image would be distorted. And the me I see is the me I'm going to be. Proverbs 27, uh, 23, 23, 7, just a little dyslexic there. Proverbs 23, 7 says, as a man thinketh, this is a woman too, as they think in their heart, so is he. What you think about yourself in your heart is what you're going to be. And that image can affect your destiny. In Numbers, the 13th chapter, this is when the, uh, the 12 spies went in to spy out the promised land. And God had told them, I'm going to give you the promised land and it's a land that's filled with milk and honey. That was their saying for, I mean, it has abundance and it's a good place. And so God had said, I'm going to give that to you. But when they got to the edge of it, they sent in these 12 spies. And you know the story. When they came back, two of them said, yeah, let's go in. Joshua and Caleb said this. Let's go in. We're well able to take it. That's what God intended for them to do. We're well able to take it. But the 10 spies, they made this statement starting in uh, verse 31. But his fellow scouts said, We are not able to go up against the people of Canaan, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought the Israelites an evil report of the land which they had scouted out, saying, The land through which we went to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the Nephilim, or giants, the sons of Anak, who came from the giants. And listen, we were... In our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. Now, how did they get that impression? How did, how did they get to the place where they thought they were grasshoppers? God told them that they could take the land. And they said, no, we can't take the land because we're grasshoppers. What happened was they looked into a mirror called comparison. They compared themselves with the giants. And when they compared themselves with the giants, that picture on the inside of them turned into a grasshopper. And it stole their destiny. They did not go into the land. They did not take possession of the land because of their self-image. 
The giants had no bearing on whether they were going to take the, the land or not. God had already said they're going to take the land. Joshua and Caleb went in and they took the land. Why did they? Because they saw themselves in God's eyes. The way that God sees them, saw them. Not by themselves. God, he said, they went on to say, if God is with us, they're going to be bread for us. We're not going to be bread for them. So your image, how you see yourself, determines how you're going to act. I have a favorite um, fairy tale. It's Cinderella. Now, you probably all know the, the story of Cinderella. There's been many movies made of it. Cinderella, Cinderella, da-da-da. And uh, so you know the story that the prince had a ball, Cinderella was a slave to her wicked stepmother and her wicked stepsisters and had to do all the work. She was basically a slave. Now, we don't know how she got in that situation. We just know that her dad must have married this woman. And then just, you know, he probably had had enough and died. And so, uh, so the story kind of starts there. So she, uh, she's in a really bad situation. She's, she's basically a slave. And <clears throat> so uh, we know that the prince, you know, had the ball. He's looking for a princess to marry, and so he has this great ball, and you know about the, the fairy godmother. We don't believe in fairy godmothers, but she had one, and uh, she fixed her up real pretty and everything, and she goes to the ball and all that. So do I need to fill in any more for you that are illiterate in Cinderella hood? Okay? Because my story does not start there. My story starts after she marries the prince. So she's married the prince, and the next morning, here comes the wicked stepmother, and she's pounding on uh, Cinderella's bedroom door and says, come and fix my breakfast. Don't you know what time it is? I need my breakfast. And the wicked stepsisters are saying, yes, come, come and, come and iron my clothes and wash my clothes and all that stuff. So <clears throat> my point is this. If, however, Cinderella sees herself will determine what she's going to do at that point. If she sees herself as a princess, she will kick those wicked people out of her life in the name of the prince. And rule and reign with the prince. But... If she still sees herself as a slave, she will submissively go along with their intimidation and do what they, what they want her to do. It all depends on how, they see, how she sees herself. Because she now rules and reigns she has the name of the prince. She can do anything she needs to do. But it depends on her self-image. So, um, I want to look at, I don't know if you know this, but there is, the Cinderella story is in the Bible. In Ephesians, the second chapter, This is the Cinderella story for you and I. Verse 1 says, And you he made alive when you were dead, slain by your trespasses and sins, in which at one time you walked habitually. You were following the course and the fashion of this world. You were under the sway of the tendency of this present age 
following the prince of the power of the air. Who's the prince of the power of the air? Well, it says you were obedient to him and under his control. That's Satan himself. The demon spirits that still constantly work in the sons of disobedience. And goes on. So what it says is there was one time that you were a slave. And you were under the control of the demonic forces of this world. You were a slave. You walked habitually according to your flesh. You had sinned and come short of the glory of God. Then it says, uh, it describes it here. Among these, verse 3, we as well as you once lived and conducted ourselves in the passions of our flesh. Our behavior was governed by our corrupt and sensual nature, <clears throat> obeying the impulses of the flesh and the thoughts of the mind. Our cravings dictated by our senses and our dark imaginations. We were then by nature children of God's wrath, heirs of his indignation, like the rest of mankind. But God. But God. So rich is he. In his mercy. Because of and in order to satisfy. The great wonderful and intense love. With which he loved us. He threw a ball. Well not exactly. It was even more serious than that. Even when we were dead, slain by our own shortcomings and trespasses, he made us alive together in fellowship and in union with Christ. Woo! We married the prince. He gave us the very life of Christ himself. The same new life with, with which he quickened him. For it is by grace... By his favor and mercy which you did not deserve. That you were saved. And you were delivered from judgment. And made partakers of Christ's salvation. And this is the good part. He raised us up together with him. Made us sit together. Giving us joint seating with him. In the heavenly sphere. By virtue of our being in Christ Jesus the Messiah the anointed one. He set us on the throne. He gave us the name of Jesus. We have the authority. We have the authority now. So if you see yourself the way that God sees you, you are going to operate in reigning and ruling in life as a king or a queen. Everything that's in the name of Jesus belongs to you. Why? Because you're in union with him. When I married Charlie, he had a 58 Bel Air Chevrolet. Oh, it was, it was good looking. When I married him, it became mine. Everything he had in the bank. When I married him, became mine. Because of the union, I took on his name. I began to see myself not as Margaret Paris, but as Margaret Mendenhall, and that had benefits. So the way that we see ourselves is the way that we're going to act and it will determine our destiny. Now, <clears throat> I've talked about mirrors, distorted mirrors. Your parents may have distorted your mirror. Your friends might have distorted your mirror. Your teachers. Who knows? Your siblings are real good at that. Just ask him. <laughs> They told her all kinds of things. <laughs> she survived, though. <laughs> Something about they, that she was kind of like a monkey, and she lived in the woods, and, my parent, and, the, and we had found her in the woods, and we brought her and adopted her. Because <laughs> she had a lot of hair on her arms. And <laughs> so, you know, people can hold up all these distorted mirrors. 
And uh, if you internalize it, then it's going to do for you what the mirror that the giants held in front of the spies did for them. And they spread it throughout the whole nation. It ruined their destiny. It, distorted mirrors can ruin your destiny. So the question is, what, where do you find a certified mirror? I mean, one that we know absolutely is true. Because I'd like to have somebody come in and certify my mirrors so I'd know which one is true. Do I need to lose 10 pounds or am I fine? So we need a certified mirror. So I want, to turn to, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3. I'm going to start with verse 16 because we started out by talking about repentance. Verse 16 says, but when whoever, excuse me, but whenever a person turns in repentance to the Lord, the veil is stripped off and taken away. I like that. I believe that veil is the lies of the enemy that he has impregnated you with when you sinned. You know, there's one thing about the devil. He will tempt you to, to sin, and as soon as you sin, then he will rub it in. He will make you feel guilty. He'll make you feel ashamed. It will, you know, he, he's out to destroy you, period. God is out to restore you. Verse 17, and the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty and emancipation from bondage, and there is freedom. So when the spirit of God begins to reveal to you what you need to know about yourself, there is liberty. What are you free from? You're free from the lies of the devil. And then verse 18 and all of us, as with unveiled face, because we continued to behold in the word of God as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we constantly are being transformed into his very own image in ever-increasing splendor from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. God has a mirror that will tell you the truth about who you are. The truth is God made you and he didn't make any junk. Psalms 139 uh, tells us in verses 13, 15, and 16. I don't know if we'll read them all. It just says that, that we were, well, let's look at it. Um, verse 13 for you did form my inward parts. You did knit me together in my mother's womb. Do you think God's a pretty good knitter? I doubt if he drops any stitches. Verse 15. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being formed in secret and intricately and curiously wrought. And is he embroideries too. And it embroideried with various colors in the depths of the earth. And he's talking about the womb, a region of darkness and, and mystery. Now look at uh, verse 16. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and in your book all the days of my life were written before ever they took shape, when as yet there was none of them. He wrote a book about you before you were born. You have a book in heaven with every day of your life written down in it. God's plan for your life. It's written in heaven. And God took what he knew was going to be in that book and he embroidered you and knit you together with DNA and made you exactly the way he wanted you to be to fulfill the destiny that he has for you. But if you don't look into the glorious law of liberty, which is the word of God, which is the mirror that we look into, then we're never going to see glory. The glory in our lives. So it says here, 
So we look in a mirror. Let me just go back. This is verse 18. Um, we behold in the word of God as in a mirror the glory of God. So if I'm going to look in the mirror, whose image am I going to see? It's going to be mine. If, I, if you look in it, it's going to be you. So it says when you look in the mirror of the word of God, you're going to see God's glory. So who is God's glory? According to this, it's me or you. Whoever is looking into the mirror of the word of God, God's word's going to reflect back glory. Period. It's not going to reflect back junk. Larry, do you have that picture where you could flash that up there for me? This is what it looks like. Oh, can we, can you, can you see that? Okay, good, all right. This is thanks to Marilyn. She sent this card to me early on. And uh, she knew I liked cats, but look. Here's this little kitty cat. But when she looks at her reflection, what does she see? She sees a lion, a conqueror, an overcomer. She's adorable, but uh, if she has a destiny, she needs to be like this lion. Leave that up there for just a little bit. It's just cute. But when we look into the word of God, we see something different than just the outward appearance. If it was just the outward appearance, it would not be good enough. It need, we need to see the lion. We need to see the way that God sees us to restore that image on the inside of us. Now I want to look at uh, John John 8, just go ahead and leave that up there for just a second while we're finding it. You can take it down when we get ready to read this. Then we'll probably put it back up later. In John 8, the Pharisees came to Jesus. And Jesus had been preaching and doing some, you know, some really good preaching. He had actually just got through dealing with a woman that was caught in the act of adultery and uh, had, a, had basically set her free. She's, he said, Jesus said, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. And um, then Jesus, once again, in verse 12, he addressed the crowd. And he said, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me will not be walking in the darkness, but will have the light, which is life. So he starts uh, talking about who he is. He says, I'm the light of the world. Whereupon the Pharisees told him, you are testifying on your own behalf. Your testimony is not valid and it is worthless. So he started saying who he was. And here's these, these Pharisees. And they're saying, no. You're not who you say you are. It's untrue. So they start holding up their mirror about Jesus. And Jesus says in verse 14, Even if I do testify on my own behalf, my testimony is true, reliable, and valid. For I know where I came from and where I'm going. That is awesome. That's what we all need to know. We came from the Father and we are headed towards a purpose that the Father has for us. He says, I know where I came from, where I'm going, but you, you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. In other words, I love the way he talks to those Pharisees. He says, you don't have a clue. And you don't have a right because you don't know the truth. And then he said, um, verse uh, 15, you set yourself up to judge according to the flesh, 
by what you see. You condemn by external human standards. I do not set myself up to judge or condemn or sentence anyone. He's saying, oh yeah, you only see the outside. That does not give you a right to judge me and determine who I am. That does not give you a right. And then he goes on to say how he got this image on the inside of him. Verse 16. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. My decision is right, for I am not alone in making it. But there are two of us. I and the Father who sent me. Verse 17, in your own law it is written that the testimony and the evidence of two persons is reliable and valid. Now listen to verse 18. You want to know how to reform your self-image? This is the way to do it. I am one of two. I am one of two. Bearing testimony concerning myself. I'm one of two. It takes two. I'm one of two. Bearing witness concerning myself. And then my father who sent me, he also testifies about me. Jesus is saying, I got who I am from my father and I agree with him. I agree with him. I don't agree with you. Your mirrors are wrong. I'm going to look at the mirror of the word of God. Can you flash up John 5, 31 and 32 real quick? Jesus speaking again. He said, if I alone testify in my behalf, my testimony is not valid and cannot be worth anything. I'm going to stop right there. Who you say about what you say about yourself is not valid. If it's just you saying it. If I alone testify about who I am. Oh. I'm just, you know, I just can't do anything right. Or every time I start something, it just seems like I'm just, it just falls apart. Well, that testimony is not valid. It's just you saying that. It cannot be worth anything. But verse 32 says this. There is another who testifies concerning me. And I know and I am certain that his evidence on my behalf is true and valid. That's what God says about you. What does God say about you? If you will take what God says about you and agree with it, you will find that your self-image will totally change. It's a reformation on the inside out. It's building the kingdom of God, God's will on the inside of you so that you can go about doing what God's called you to do for your destiny. So, we have an assignment as children of God. You and I have assignments to rebuild what the devil's tried to steal from us on the inside. And we can do it. I guess this is probably the part that was the most important to me was when I began to see myself the way that God saw me. And you know, you have to struggle for that because sometimes circumstances will not be conducive to, oh, you're wonderful. Sometimes you feel like you failed. Well, that's just temporary. God has another view of you. Put that little picture back up. This is the way God sees you. He sees you as an overcomer. So how do we go about it? Years ago, I was ministering to this woman that um, she, she had a problem with alcohol. She, when she walked, she walked kind of like this and shuffled. You could just, I mean, she was the perfect picture of someone that felt worthless. 
saw herself as worthless. And I ministered to her a lot. And sometimes it was in the middle of the night at 2 o'clock in the morning when the bars closed. She would call. And um, I was, I just pray, I prayed a lot about how do I help her? And the Lord led me to go through the New Testament in the writings of Paul and the different writings and pick out all the who am I scriptures. There's a lot of scriptures in the Bible that tells you who you are. And I jotted, I, I made her a list and I gave it to her. And to tell you the truth, I don't think she ever read it or ever did it. But you know what? I got a list that I could use for someone else. And we won't, uh, we won't go through this list, but I'll just read a few of them just to give you an understanding of what these scriptures will do for you. And the ushers do have these, and they will be passing them out when you go out today. Be sure and get one if you haven't already got one. Some of you have heard me teach this so many times, you've got several of them. So just don't lose them. But the first one here says, I'm God's own handiwork. His workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do the good works that God has prepared ahead of time for me to walk in. That's who I am. I'm God's workmanship. I wish sometimes that he had have made me a little taller, a little skinnier. Maybe I didn't. Maybe that's not his job. I don't know. But I am his workmanship. I was created for a purpose. So, so, that, so what you do with this is you can say, you go through these. I would suggest that you pick one or two out every day and just start speaking those over yourself. Like... Uh, I am confident that Jesus Christ will complete the good work that he started in me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I am complete in Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed me so I am holy, blameless, and unreprovable in God's sight. Those are just some things. That's the way God sees you. That's the way God wants us to see ourselves. It's totally dependent on you, on what mirror you choose. Are you going to choose the mirror that someone that didn't really know you or your purpose said about you or treated you? They don't have to have any bearing on you. Like, like the giants did not have any bearing on the children of Israel. And yet they allowed them to keep them out of this promised land. Because they internalized that comparison. So only you and God knows how you see yourself. But you know, he's not happy with your thoughts. Your, te your testimony, testimony only. He's not happy with that. And you have to say something about, out of your mouth. You will notice if you just listen to yourself, you're always talking about who you are. I mean, you, you can sabotage yourself, right? right and left by just what you say about yourself because when you begin to speak that out your mouth then that image begins to form on the inside of you I, it's just coming to me real quick about a this may be for someone I don't know but uh, I was listening to Keith Moore the other day and he was talking about an incident where a man came up to him and said uh you know, I would really like to quit smoking, but I just can't quit smoking. And he said, um, Keith Moore said, well, yes, you can. And he said, no, I can't. 
And he said, no, I've tried. I've thrown them away. I've gone back and dug them up. Just a few hours later, I can't quit. And Keith Moore said this. He said, will you do something if I ask you to do? And uh, will you do it regularly? Because I'll guarantee you, if you'll do what I tell you to do, you can quit. So he said, yeah, I'll do that. He said, okay, it's this. He said, every day, even if you're lighting up a cigarette, even if you're buying cigarettes, you say, thank God I am free from cigarettes. It has no hold over me. And he, his testimony was this, just a few weeks later, he testified that he started, he did that regularly. Every time he would light up a cigarette, every time he would buy a pack of cigarettes, <clears throat> he would say that about himself. I am free. Jesus Christ has set me free. And he said there was one day he started to light up a cigarette and he thought, I don't want this. He threw it away and he never smoked another cigarette. What had happened? The words of his mouth have created on the inside of him what life is all about. What God has done for us. He set us free. He's delivered us. He's made us who we, he wants us to be. Now it's up to us to reform that self-image that the devil tried to destroy. But I'm going to tell you right now, he can't keep us out of the promised land. Hallelujah. He can't. Because we are well able to take it. It has been our honor to offer this message today. If you would like to partner with us as we continue to bring the Word of God, we would ask that you prayerfully consider supporting Victory Center with a financial donation. You may do so today via the online giving portal at victorycenter.org. Thank you.